Hi there, you're listening to the Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Welcome to the show. The Bible is a book that oftentimes lays strange truths before us, at least truths that are strange to 21st century eyes. Reactions to these claims vary. Some attempt to shirk their responsibility to accept them by finding more comfortable solutions. Here's one example. In 1 Samuel 28, did the witch really divine Samuel unto Saul? I've heard lots of benign attempts at understanding this passage, but why not take it at face value? In the supernatural world we live in, and especially the one that biblical writers introduces us to, it's absolutely possible that divine, intelligent evil was responsible for the witchcraft the text relays to us here. Here's another example. What about the magicians of Pharaoh in the Exodus story? Could they really have done the things the text claims? Or was it more akin to the sleight of hand that can be observed in Las Vegas or on late night television? More and more, personally, I'm becoming convinced that um, we ought not to shy away when reading something strange in the Bible. Rather, we should embrace it. We should allow it to inform us of what the biblical writers really thought and how they interacted with their world. One such strange phenomena is the so-called Great Age of the Patriarchs. The Bible reports to us that prior to the watery destruction of the earth recorded in Genesis 6-8, through human beings were living upwards of 1,000 years. Now, this sounds absolutely preposterous to the reader who is informed of modern genetics, and attempts to rationalize or sanitize these accounts can certainly be found. Perhaps in the ancient Near East, it was common to use such large numbers to represent other points, be they more theological or political in nature. Perhaps the text means to merely convey a sense of family relationships to us, such that generations could have been skipped and the large numbers are merely a way of of communicating that hidden meaning analogically. Or, as with the instances above, perhaps the text is merely trying to tell us history in the truest sense of the word. Perhaps these figures really did live to be almost a thousand years old. What then? How is it possible, given what we know about human history, human lifespans throughout history from other sources, and modern genetics? First and foremost, let me state up front that I do think that the proper reading of this passage is that the ages are meant to be taken at face value, and not just uh, a particular passage, but these uh, this entire motif in the early chapters of the Bible. That's not to say that we must appropriate a sort of wooden literalism to them, though. For example, I'm okay if the flood started in the 601st year of Noah's life, even though the text rounds out to the 600th year. That would be no problem for me. But what we can't do is extrapolate these ages to then mean whatever we want. We can't say that this really means Noah was only 60 years old when the flood started. There's no indication from the text that such an interpretation would be warranted. 
On the contrary, we do have evidence that the biblical authors often used round numbers, and in fact, we know this was a practice common to ancient Near Eastern writers in general. In our modern world, we often strive for precision, but we have to allow the Bible to be what it is, trustworthy for sure, but reporting in a way that sometimes deviates from what we might expect. In the case of the Genesis 5 and 11 chronogenealogies, we have lots of detail and very good reason to think that the ages reported should be taken fairly literally. Now, the Bible says it, so that settles it, right? Well, certainly, I believe that to be true. However, it would only be honest to take the concerns of modern science into consideration. There's much to learn from modern science. It's not the big bad boogeyman. In fact, it could be used to our advantage. The face value problem is that most modern scientists have entirely ruled out the possibility of people ever having lived to these incredible ages. We find no fossil evidence of human beings ever having lived to these ages. A suggestion that might be reasonable if young age creationism is true, but it's hard to believe if humans have been on the scene for tens of thousands of years and were to take these ages at face value. Assuming the widely accepted long age time scale, there's no reason to think this was genetically possible either. At no time in history would we have the necessary conditions to produce such a drastic change as we see between the antediluvian patriarchs and the post-diluvian patriarchs. So this leads to a reasonable question. What is it that happened after the flood? What kind of things contributed to such a radical change here? Well, after the flood, we do observe a number of interesting things. For one thing, lifespans seem to radically decrease. While the oldest man to live before the flood was Methuselah, he lived to 969 years old. The oldest to ever live after it was only 464 years old, and that was Eber. From there, the number only goes down with each generation until it settles to around 90 years old. And of course, again, in some cases more, in some cases a little bit less. So it might not be directly related to the question of these long ages, but we also see a rapid increase in change within the animal kinds. So this is another factor we have to consider of things that happened after the flood. We have every reason to think that the animals on board the ark were much different, at least in most cases, than their modern descendants today. Yet, we also have every reason to think that there were animals, as we experience them today, living just hundreds of years after the flood. Now, early creationist thought on this held that the most likely contributing factor was the radically altered ecology of the reorganized world. Um, but most creationists today have abandoned a few of the necessary assumptions this position would require, such as the canopy theory. 
this, along with other advances in genetic science, specifically with respect to young age creationist research, has led to the more prevalent view that um, the radical decrease in lifespan is due primarily to genetic factors, with ecology playing a more tertiary role. This entails that there was a plethora of genetic diversity available to natural selection prior to the flood. Yes, by the way, creationists, at least most of them, believe in natural selection. I believe natural selection is true and observable. We see it happening. It's going on. So I totally am on board with the idea of natural selection. What I'm not on board with is the idea of mutations and um, uh, random mutations and selection working over time to bring beings about from a universal common ancestor. That's what we reject. But natural selection, we can totally observe that. We do believe that happens. So such genetic diversity would not have been subjected to any bottlenecks or thousands of years of degradation and devolution. So it's perfectly reasonable to think that pre-flood and therefore pre-genetic bottleneck humans had much longer lifespans than those we observe today. And I've got some notes that I linked to in the blog post, some some works by Dr. Nathaniel Jeanson and Dr. Todd Wood that will help shed some light on much of this genetic research that we have that leads us to think that the genetic bottleneck at the flood is responsible and can explain these long ages and the shorter ages afterward and also the rapid changes in animal kinds, etc. So although we don't have all the answers, and yeah, there's a whole lot more work to do uh, from a scientific perspective, we can feel very confident that the Bible is accurately reporting the pre-flood patriarchal ages to us. This, again, is because of assumptions that flow logically from a young age creationist interpretation of the Bible, such as created genetic diversity and a genetic bottleneck created by the flood scenarios reducing of the human population to just six souls. So these taken together with other genetic, epigenetic, and ecological changes to the post-flood environment serve to underscore the scientific plausibility of the biblically reported ages. Thank you so much for joining us for another week of the Steve Schramm Show. Hey, when you join to become a disciple maker on Patreon, you take an intimate role in our ministry and even get to receive unlimited immediate access to all of our books and audiobooks. I would love to have you over there building a, uh, a community. I think it would be great for you to join us and you can take part in our ministry in an even deeper way. We thank you and appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening. I pray that you have a great week, a great day. You'll share this podcast with others who maybe you're struggling with the question of how could these people have lived to these ages? It's a fair question and there are answers to it. We need more, but there are answers available now. So let's go ahead and be diligent about giving those. If you would love to share this podcast with somebody else, we would be happy to bring on some more listeners. Uh, one way you can help do that is just by um, giving us a good rating in iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts. I guess I should get it right these days. Uh, Apple Podcasts, you can go over there and actually leave a review. You can leave a, um, a, a comment uh, over there to allow others to to get a glimpse of what it's like to, to listen to the podcast uh, as a listener, and, and maybe that would help them to want to become one as well. Well, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.